I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game podcast coming to you Monday morning after the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which I did get to watch. So I just wanted to give some quick thoughts on that show before I bring on Robert Silva. We're going to talk about the uh, greatest fights of all time list that he did. It, it, it finished before the G1 started, but because we were so G1 focused, I wanted to not bring him on during that time. Uh, and I wanted to bring him on after the G1 so that we could really focus on the end of his list, which I thought was really good. And we'll talk about uh, his new list that he's he's uh, ready to uh, post. We'll, we'll put out that first uh, the first post of that new list uh, sometime this week. So before we get to Robert, uh, just one reminder, the UFC 254 recap show with Justin Nipper, myself, and John Moxley is up. It is a really, really good show, uh, not only for the uh, UFC sort of, you know, three guys who are, you know, pretty pretty good at talking about UFC. I think I can say that, but also just you know the entertainment and and John talking about pro wrestling and uh, lots of people uh, saying you know they they may not be the biggest fan of the UFC or of MMA, but they're really enjoying that show. So uh, appreciate that feedback and hopefully and but you know check it out if you haven't heard it. Uh, that went up uh, on Saturday night. So uh, so hell in the cell. I am not a super diehard WWE main roster person. I follow the storylines. I listen to podcasts. I read on. I read up, you know, on the recaps and stuff. But I'm not watching a TV show, so I think I've been pretty adamant about that. But I do watch the pay per views for the most part, at least the the main stuff on the pay per views. And uh, I did get to see all of the show tonight and. For the three main angles, I thought the show was really good. And for the rest of it, I thought the show was kind of bad. <laughs> but at least, you know, when you, when you get to the three main things, which was the three Hell in Cell matches, you had the opener with Roman and Jay. And that was uh, pretty close to the storytelling of the last match, which was really interesting at the last pay-per-view. And in this one, you know, they didn't really need the Hell in Cell because they had the I Quit stipulation. I guess the Cell made it so that Heyman couldn't get involved. But uh, it didn't stop Jimmy Uso from getting involved. It was a back and forth. It was choking out. It was Roman using a guillotine. It was him being too much for his little cousin. And his little cousin was knocked out, would not say I quit because he couldn't say I quit. And then Roman was about to bash him with the steps after throwing the referee over the top rope because the referee was going to stop it and Roman didn't want him to. Uh, 
And as he was about to bash uh, the bash Jay, uh, Jimmy came in and had him drop the steps. And Jimmy was trying to talk some sense in him. And Roman was crying and pretending that he was, you know, being this bad person. And that's not really him. But it was only to get Jimmy also in the guillotine. And as he had Jimmy in the guillotine, then Jay woke up from his stupor and he said, I quit so that Roman would let go of his twin brother. And then uh, Afansika at the end stood with Roman as they raised his arm. So it was, I, I was compelled. I thought it was awesome. I, I know a lot of people thought it was a little long and it, it wasn't even really uh, that much of a match near the end as it was just telling that story inside the ring with the cameras really up close to them and the audio, you could hear everything that they were saying. It was really compelling. If you are into, you know, an, an opener being super hot and keeping you glued to the chair and you're kind of getting fired up for this show, that's not what this match was. But I thought, you know, we see that all the time. And this was, this was a little bit different and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and so then the other match was uh, Bailey and Sasha, which I thought was an excellent match. We finally uh, get the culmination, not, not even the culmination, because I, I imagine that this story will continue. Sasha beats Bailey uh, to uh, to win the match. She puts her in the bank statement and is using the, um, I think she's using a chair as well to choke out Bailey. Uh, but the match was lots of back and forth stuff. And this was really, you know, this was really a reason to have the, the cage. Uh, they utilized the cage. They utilized stuff going to the outside. Uh, they were they were going hard. You know, there were some... I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell if, if anybody got hurt. But there was some risky stuff. And, you know, if not hitting the back of the head, coming pretty closely to the back of the head uh, on stuff. But really, really good. Just, you know... Great storytelling. The both women were pretty much on fire, and it was awesome to see Sasha get that win. You know, she is uh, she's been on a roll. Bailey's Bailey's great, but I feel like Sasha has been, you know, has probably has a little bit of a chip on her shoulder and wanted to prove that uh, you know that she was the goods. And I've been so high on her since I saw her at uh, WrestleMania 32 live. When I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's she's the star of this thing here watching live with that entrance and everything and you know she's had her ups and downs and she's done really well and then she's also been often injured and and not you know maybe not um at her peak but i think she's on fire right now and i think they really need to take advantage of her she's so awesome and then the main event was randy orton beating uh, drew mcintyre to win the title I don't think it necessarily needed to happen, though when you stretch the program out as long as they did, you sort of assumed that it was going to happen. Um, I would have rather seen Drew continue to keep it and they could build somebody else because Randy does not need the title. But I also understand that, you know, you can't in, in this day and age with the way that they book television, you know, keeping the belt on Drew could make him stale. And now he has all the reason to you know, come back and possibly win it again and maybe win it with when, when fans are there or whatever, but who knows when that's going to happen. Um, 
but yeah, I think you know it, it was it was a good match. They went to the top of the cell. Uh, Randy used the bolt cutters to cut cut them out. You know, to to allow them to get out. They didn't. Even, I don't even know why they went on the top of the cell, just so that they could walk back down halfway and Drew could take a bump, which was also unnecessary, but it was so predictable. And then the cameraman even missed it. Um, but I would say that because we saw two better matches in the cell, this one was a bit anticlimactic. And probably if... I don't know. Maybe if that Roman match isn't in the cell, or maybe if you sort of change the match order, this is a little bit better. But when you, I mean, all three matches were like 30 minutes long. So three really long matches, uh, but three good matches. Like, I, I didn't really have a problem with the Randy and Drew match, though, you know, it was definitely the uh, third out of the three. So, main programs, I thought the show was good. Everything else, I thought it sucked. There was the, the Tucker turn on Otis, which I, whatever. Um, and yeah, so, uh, I, I would go out of my way to, if you haven't watched the show to watch those three matches. So definitely check it out, uh, if you have a chance. All right. So before we bring on Robert, I did want to quickly talk about Indeed. We've been talking about Indeed here for uh, quite a while and, you know, they're, they're just really at the tip top of, of these, uh, these websites uh, for you know, for companies and and for people looking for jobs, um, you know, unlike the other, so unlike some of the other websites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. They're the number one job site because they get you the best people and they get you the best people fast. Like that's the key to this whole thing is is just you know you, you're not you know you don't have to wait. So. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hiring you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, get your free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means the quality candidates you are searching for will see it, and they will see it quickly. And try Indeed out. Uh, indeed.com slash blue wire get your free $75 credit again and uh, this is their best offer so you know check it out you won't see uh, you know this specific offer is valid through December 31st and uh, you know terms and conditions apply check it out indeed.com slash blue wire all right we're gonna bring on Robert to talk about his not only his list but also the final fight in his list, which was the Thrilla in Manila, the Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, uh, just war of attrition. And uh, we'll talk about that next. All right, we have Robert here. We were going to do this a few weeks ago. The G1 got in the way, but I wanted to bring him back because we had been talking about his list of the greatest fights of all time. I believe the last time... We had this discussion. We were right about at the top five. So we'll break down the top five pretty quickly here because I, I want to spend a, a good amount of time talking about his number one fight, uh, which is the Thrilla in Manila. But Robert, what's up, man? Hey, good evening, uh, Garrett. Yeah, we uh, left off the number five fight. is a fight that you've talked about several times with me privately, and you've said it a few times, I think, on your podcast with Duan. 
were doing over the years, and that's Alexis Arguello versus Aaron Pryor from November of 1982, a fight that broke your heart. <laughs> yeah. It, it broke my heart, too, because Arguello is one of my top. I would I would put Arguello number three, my third favorite fighter of all time. And my father and I thought that Arguello was going to win this fight. I recently wrote an article that you'll be publishing soon about Arguello's knockout of Mike Tyson's future trainer, Kevin Rooney, in June, uh, the June before this fight, where he knocked out Kevin Rooney with one of the greatest right crosses in the history of boxing. And they interviewed Pryor after the fight because they had agreed that day to fight each other. And there was the, the look of, there was the fear of God in the look of Aaron Pryor's face. And my, <laughs> my father right then, he said, oh, Arguello's got him, Arguello's got him. I got to put money on Arguello. Yeah, my father took a bath that night. Uh, <laughs> Pryor fought on this right then and there in the history of boxing at 140, 135, 147 pounds. No one would have beaten Pryor that night. He fought brilliantly. He switched up. The fight started off as a slugfest. Round one was comparable to the Hagler Hearns round one. They came out swinging. Midway through the fight, Pryor started to box Arguello's ears off. And finally, oh, and in the 13th round, uh, Garrett, Arguello landed up the same type of right hand he knocked out Rooney with that that uh, bounced Pryor's head back like a bobblehead, but he wasn't hurt. And I'm like, oh, shit. And when, when that happened, my father was like, you know what? I'm going to have to pay this guy because this is this is over. <laughs> <laughs> this is over. Then in the 14th round, Pryor came, comes running out, staggers Arguello, and batters him in one of the most brutal knockouts in boxing history, a 14th round knockout the night that Aaron Pryor clinched his spot as the greatest 140-pound fighter of all time. And since then, no one's come close. There have been a lot of great junior welterweights since then. Costa Zoo, Terrence Crawford, and... um. Recently, Josh Taylor, but none of those guys at their best would have beaten Aaron Pryor that night. I mean, he beat the legend that uh had a had had a fourteen year old Robert Silver unable to sleep that that night, and probably a, a six year old Garrett Gonzalez <laughs> crying. <laughs> well, it was a, it was a very easy fight for me as a young person to see the sort of the heel versus babyface dynamic because um I, I everything i had heard about arguello was kind of what you you know what you wrote in in several pieces that you've written on him just about how classy he was how good of a person he was and so it was very easy to make this about him and not about prior as far as you know who who i want to win because i, I didn't really know but you know when Pryor points at him, and 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 uh, you know then there's the thing with Panama Lewis about the mix and, and and everything that's been made up about that. So it was very easy to paint Aaron Pryor as the heel. But then when they fight the second time, then it was like, okay, this is this is just a, a clear, you know, he he just he just better and knocked, and there's he no knocked, he knocked him down five times, Garrett, and the fifth in the fifth knockdown in the tenth round. 
Arguello's lucid. He just knows I, I can't beat this mofo. And he, he sits down and he quits. He just gets counted out. He Basically, he did a no mas, but instead of just turning his back and walking out the ring, he just sat in the corner and took the 10 count because he knew there's nothing he could do. Pryor was... It was the better. It was the first time in his entire career he fought somebody that he knew he couldn't beat. And you were right about Arguello in the history of boxing. He's top five, classy, classy, top, one of the top five classiest fighters of all time. And he's not number five. I mean, the man loved his country. Lost everything back in 1979, 1980 when he went and fought to get with the uh, Sandinistas. They, they they took away his house, everything when they took over the country. And then years later became mayor of Managua, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, and was murdered. I don't care what they say. He was suicide. He was murdered. Yeah. Never heard anybody killing themselves by shooting themselves in the torso. That that's yeah. unheard of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we don't need to we don't need to really talk about Hagler and yeah. Hearns. Uh, this website no, we, has, that, has that, I mean we've gone over that two for nail and plus you and Duan did a spectacular job that guys can go back and, and listen to. I mean, very thorough. The research, the backstory, everything is in that podcast. Yeah, that's on our YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, uh, the Fight Game Media YouTube channel. And I'm 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 not going to skip your number three fight, but I want to group number three and number one together, and we'll quickly talk about number two because we've also talked about this fight before, which is uh, Corral Corrales and Castillo. But uh, yeah, quickly you know, talk about number two fight. I know you know you've written things and we've talked uh, we, about it in the past. We, we have we, we have a podcast you and I on on this website, but real quickly. that that's also that segment that specific segment on this fight is also. On YouTube, on our uh, Fight Game Media YouTube the, channel. The greatest fight of the 21st century. Unreal. I mean, the greatest lightweight fight of all time. This was the most action-packed fight I've ever seen from the beginning to the end. That 10th round was ridiculous. Where Corrales went down twice. Both times he spit out his mouthpiece. Referee deducts a point from him. And his trainer, Joe Goosen, tells him, you better go fucking get him. Because <laughs> he knew those two knockdowns, he's way behind on the cards. Castillo comes for the kill and walks into a spectacular right hand that hurts him. Corrales has him up against the ropes and lands another great right hand that suspends him in air. And Tony Week stops the fight or else... There would have been a tragedy that night because he was out on his feet. It was just the ropes holding up Castillo in an un unreal fight. The last victory of Corrales' career as he would lose his next three fights. He would lose the rematch to Castillo a few months later. Castillo came in overweight. Corrales said, all right, I'll, I'll fight him anyway because I need the paycheck. And he got blasted in four. Uh, they were supposed to fight again the following year. Once again, Castillo couldn't make weight. So Corrales said, no, nah, I'm not doing this again. He called the fight off the night before the fight, loses his title to, to Joel Casamayor, and then gets battered by Joshua Clotty. And at the age of 29, he's washed up. And then he dies two years to the day of his fight. He is he is drunk. He, is, uh, he, he was like, uh, he was riding his motorcycle drunk like twice the legal 
alcohol limit when he when when he gets into a motorcycle accident and dies instantly. Yeah, yeah, that that that's uh, we tell that entire story on that podcast. So check it out uh, on Fight Game, the Fight Game Media YouTube channel, if you want to hear that. It's 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 in there. Uh, okay, so now let's talk about the the fight number three and fight number one on your list. The first one is what is uh, I think it was even titled the fight of the century uh, in seventy uh, one, and that is Ali and Frazier one now. Anybody who who knows boxing history sort of understands the story. You know, Ali was out of boxing, left on top, and came back. And Frazier was was the guy. And, and so this is this he, is the he fight. Didn't, he didn't leave on top. He was forced out on right. top. He was forced out on top. <laughs> and so, you know, he's got to come back and 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 sort of there's a the boxing has changed a little bit. He he comes back. He's lost three years of athleticism of his youth and he's got to try to be that same guy again. And, uh, you know, this fight, I've seen people try to break this thing down as far as like, if we had pay-per-view back then, you know, this would have been the biggest fight I've, in I've the history got, of boxing. I've got, I've got the numbers right here and it blows away. Forget boxing. It blows away any sporting event in the history of sports when it comes to viewership. 300 million people around the world paid to see this fight on closed circuit. 300 million people bought tickets to see this fight all over the world. In Bangladesh, in Tokyo, in New York City, in San Jose, in Mexico City. 300 million people. What's the record for pay-per-view? 4.5? If this fight was held today with the, with, with the worldwide notoriety of Muhammad Ali forget it a pay-per-view I I don't know what what it's endless it would it would be endless I, I you couldn't call it 300 million people and the average ticket was $15 at that time Garrett so I so, think the number that you're talking about is both a closed circuit number but also like a free television number. And I'm assuming they are grouping, you know, they, they showed the fight uh, afterwards. Um, after the fight, I th I'm pretty sure they've shown it, you know, a bunch of different times. I think it was actually in movie theaters, like even after the closed circuit as well. So yeah, it, that it, it stayed in the movie theater, I believe, up to six months. And matter of fact, the, the link I sent you, and I have a DVD copy of that actual theatrical release because they, they put it with a documentary mm -hmm. and it was called Ali the Fighter. Matter of fact, out on WOR Channel 9 in New York City, they would show that movie every year from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. And, and, and at the time, we didn't have a VCR. So every time we saw it in the TV guide, my father's, and they would show it at midnight, one in the morning, my father would wake me up and say, yo, it's on, let's go watch this again. It, it was <laughs> on over and over again. But back in 71, this fight was so huge. My father was, my father was incarcerated at the time. And they allowed the prisoners to listen to it on 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 a blow by blow description they couldn't they couldn't put it on the radio but they would have somebody in in a in the new studio like a like a like a all all all, all news station mm -hmm. like an all news radio station they would give you updates after every round 
and that's how the, they, the prisoners were allowed to listen to it. And um, well, my father was saying it was the same way I score. Uh, he and I was, was scoring for years. We always had to fight dead even going into the fifteenth round, which is different from what the judges had it. Yeah, I, I one judge gave Frazier eleven rounds. What? The, yeah, I like he, like he had his scorecard ready. I, and 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 um years later, because at the time this fight happened, I was two years old and my father was locked up. But years later, when my father and I talked about it, he always felt that Ali needed a knockout to win that fight mm -hmm. because he's coming back from Vietnam. He's he's still battling this case in the Supreme Court. Ali still had. This is May, March of 1971, March 8th, 1971. He doesn't get his conviction overturned by the Supreme Court until June of 71. So there was still that uh, conviction uh, uh, hanging over him, hanging over Ali. So, I mean, he, I, I, there was no way in the world if the fight was close, Ali was going to win. But Frazier deserved to win that night. So the judge, the judge's scorecard. Um, one of the judge, one of the judges had it eight four going into the thirteenth. Had Ali winning the thirteenth and the fourteenth, but still at eight four, he would have, like your father said, he would have needed a knockout. Knockout. It was it was eleven four nine six and eight six one. Eight six one being Arthur McCanty's scorecard. Arthur McCanty had it seven six one going into the fifteenth round. The other judge, the one you just mentioned, had eight six, and the other judge had it ten four going into the last round. So yeah, after twelve, he needed the a referee had Ali up six five one. Yeah, uh, but Arthur he had, McCanty. but yeah. then he had uh, Frazier winning the last three. I I don't see it because Ali came on strong in the thirteenth and fourteenth round. Ali was rally because Ali knew he needed those rounds, and in the fifteenth round he came out and he walked into that left hook, and that's one of the greatest left hooks ever to land on anybody. And Ali got up before the referee turned around to make the count. I could not <laughs> believe it. I could oh, and uh, that was the night that a lot of so-called boxing experts who had ripped Ali. Oh, he doesn't have any heart. He, he we, We've never seen him go go through turmoil. That night, he proved to everybody that he was the real deal. And there, there are a few times in boxing where you win by losing. Ali won that night despite losing. And it was the first time in history of boxing, Garrett, that the two best fighters in the world, pound for pound, fought each other. All right, so then we uh, the second fight is not on your list. No, but no, the, that, uh, that was a decisive win by Ali. That was the only fight where Ali uh, dominated by staying outside and boxing and never allowed Frazier to corner him and batter him to the body and land at will with that vicious left hook of his, one of the greatest left hooks in boxing. That was the... Most convincing win of any of the three fights. So neither guy at this point has the title. No. Form. This is a year, almost a year exactly after Foreman beats Frazier. So what is the? I mean, not, you like know what? I, said, I never understood this. The question you're probably going to ask me is a question that's baffled me my entire life. How they didn't have a rematch after 
the money they made the first time, the buzz it generated, the incredible fight it was, that they didn't have a rematch right away. And I could only conclude that it was Frazier bitterness towards Ali that he didn't give him an immediate rematch. Or why because isn't like why isn't that in the they contract? didn't fight for he, he <laughs> lose and, and, and Frazier beats Ali in March of seventy one. Only defends the title two more times successfully before getting knocked out by George Foreman in January of seventy three. How do you not give Ali a rematch? And Ali fought a ridiculous eleven to thirteen times, if I'm not mistaken, in those two years. Ali stayed busy. And Ali originated the term that The Rock would copy years later, calling himself the People's Champ. Why he called himself the People's Champ? Because he couldn't get a rematch with Frazier. So he's like, I'm the People's Champ. I'm the People's Champ. Muhammad, you lost to Frazier. You can't call yourself the People's Champ. Shut up, Howard. He won't <laughs> give me a rematch. He, see, he would call himself the People's Champ because he couldn't get a rematch. But then... In 73, two things happened. First, Frazier loses to Foreman, and then Ali loses to Norton in a 60-day span. And so they're basically forced. Ali gets beats Norton in a rematch, but it's Norton that gets the title shot first against Foreman. And while that's going on, Ali and Frazier fight that second fight, an elimination fight. Ali beats Ali beats Frazier in the rematch. Foreman almost kills Ken Norton. Almost a massacre on closed-circuit television. A second-round destruction of Ken Norton. And they go into the, the rumble in the jungle, and George Foreman is a prohibitive, like, six or seven or eight-to-one favorite. And Cosell's like, I love the man, but there is no way in the world that Ali can beat this young bull named George Foreman. <laughs> okay, here, here's what I, I don't understand. And this is just, I'm assuming this is the politics of boxing, which is Foreman beats Frazier. You would think with Ali fighting so often mm -hmm. that he would be next Maybe he doesn't want it at that point. Maybe but, but wait, 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 Foreman. Wait, wait. What the reason he doesn't fight Ali? Ali loses to, to uh, Ken Norton two months after Frazier gets knocked out by Foreman. That's why Ali doesn't get the the, the match right away. So, so if he beats Foreman, that fight you happens. Mean if he beats Norton, I mean yeah, Norton, that yeah, that, that fight, fight happens, happens sooner, a year before it happens. Right, right. He because he fights Norton in the rematch, but I don't understand why after he beat Norton in the rematch. Norton gets the shot before Ali. Right. I, I didn't I did not understand. I did not understand that. George Foreman, after he beats Frazier, knocks out a, a Puerto Rican named Jose Roman, who you and I would have had a better shot at beating Foreman. And that bum, that bum had no business beating the ring. And then he fights Norton, even though Norton loses the rematch to Ali. Right. Destroys Norton, and then he fights Ali, which is at a disadvantage to Ali because now he's 18 months older than when Foreman first beat Frazier. So, uh, so, so basically that second fight with, uh, with Ali and Frazier was essentially the number one contender yeah, match was, for, the, was, for the next, it, for the Foreman it, fight. It was, a, it was a heavyweight elimination fight. Yeah. Got it. 
Okay, so now we get to this third fight with uh, with Ali and Frazier. It is for all, all of the t- all the heavyweight titles, um, and they do it in the Philippines. So this is now 1975. So it is uh, four years after that first fight, and it seems like everything that I've read. Now I don't know. I would have to go back because I've I've read stuff on this fight years and years and years ago, but I don't really remember some of the things. Which is, Ali is kind of on top of the world at this point, um, and he, it seems like he very much thought that Frazier was over the hill. And I, did that affect his training? Do you know? Do you know if he trained as hard for this fight? He, As he probably should have. He trained hard. Look at the way he looked in the ring. Ali had, in the history of heavyweight boxing, Ali had the perfect physique for a heavyweight. Not too muscular. I mean, strong strong calves. He was the perfect build for heavyweight. Six foot three, 215, 220. There were fights back then, uh, Garrett, that he came in and you could tell he was pudgy. No. He trained hard for this fight. But he fought differently in this fight. You didn't mm-hmm. see the movement that you saw in the in, in his it's, other It just fight. seemed to me like he thought he was going to knock Frazier out. Well, and like, but, but a lot of people thought that the 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 so called boxing experts all felt Frazier was washed up mm-hmm. because of the beating he took in the first fight with Ali and the destructive knockout loss to George Foreman. But that was it. Joe Frazier ate up everybody else that he fought. He destroyed Jerry Quarry before this fight. And Jerry Quarry in any other era would have been heavyweight champion of the world. He just happened to fight in an era where Foreman, Frazier, and Ali were above him. Jerry Quarry was a, was a very good heavyweight. Um, Frazier, Frazier knocked him out a second time, easily disposed of him in it better than the first time they fought, quicker than the first time they fought. So uh, while Joe Frazier was considered washed up. He was in no, no, by no means washed up. Right. And so after, so after their second fight, Ali goes Foreman, Wepner, Lyle, Bugner. So he fights four times. He was, and he was losing the fight to Ron Lyle before he knocked him out. Ron Lyle gave Ali hell. And I don't think he took Lyle seriously until he, until he finally, Stepped it up and stopped them in the twelfth round, and and on the other hand, and 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 some of the uh, all of those fights were long, longer fights and and battles. But on the other hand, Frazier only fights twice. Right, he knocks out Jerry Corey in five and knocks out Jimmy Ellis in twelve uh, in nine. And and he's he'd actually fought Ellis before. He fought, but he knocked out both of them before when he was the heavyweight champion of the world. Right. He, he did. knocked out in, in the same order. In, in the, the same order. In the same order. <laughs> it, it, he, um, th- those were safe fights for Joe. First why, of all, why, why not? Why why wasn't he as active as Ali? I, was I don't. That I don't. I don't understand why he wasn't. Why he was as active? I know that promoters were trying hard to put him and Ken Norton together in an elimination fight. And both guys refused to fight each other because they were as close as brothers. Joe Frazier and Ken Norton had a brotherly relationship and they refused to fight each other. It would have been big money and it would have been the perfect fight to make at that time, especially in between fighting Foreman and, 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 uh, and uh, be, 
between the Foreman Ali and Foreman Norton fights, you would think Norton and Frazier would fight each other, but they refused to fight each other because they were close as brothers. And the other heavyweights had been cleaned out. There was no other... At this point in time, the final four were Foreman, Ali, Frazier, and Norton. Larry Holmes was a young up-and-coming contender who was just a sparring partner at that time. He wasn't making noise yet. Um, So... Who else is there for him to fight? I mean, Ernie Shavers was a was considered a journeyman at the time. Uh, Chuck Webner, he could have fought Chuck Webner. He would have brutally beat Chuck Webner, but it would have been a a, a, a nice tune-up. Uh, so he went and fought the same guys that everybody else had beaten over and over again, including Ali, and that was Jimmy Ellis and Jerry Quarry. All right, so there was, uh, there was some... Uh, I, I guess uh, not controversy, but in that second fight uh, from the Frazier camp, the, the word was, you know, he, he held the entire fight. We don't want him to be able to hold. And so Carlos Padilla Jr. is the referee and his almost like his entire thing is just to make sure that Ali doesn't grab and by the, the way, back of Joe's head. He did a great job refereeing this fight, Carlos Padilla. He did a tremendous job as did Arthur McCanty in the first fight uh Tony Perez in the second fight there was some controversy there because in the first round of the second fight Ali had Frazier hurt and Perez stepped in and Ali got mad and after the fight made some inflammatory remarks about that Puerto Rican referee cost me a knockout and Tony Perez sued Ali for libel oh wow yeah he took it real seriously Think they settled out of court and Perez got himself a nice chunk of change. <laughs> okay, so this fight is like it's almost like three fights in yes, one. Yes, it is. It is three fights. Ali is very dominant for about the first five rounds or so. And he doesn't dance. He's he's in the pocket the first five rounds. And in the first round, he staggers Frazier towards the end of the round, similar to the second fight. And when the bell rings, Frazier taps him on the ass and is like, yeah, you got me that time, champ. Mm-hmm. And Frazier does it a couple of more other times where he uh, respectfully smacks Ali on the ass or the back, or, or the shoulders like, yeah, yeah, you got me. Ali completely dominates the first five rounds. Landing combinations. He's having his way. Even when he's up against the ropes, Garrett, and he'll let Frazier, he'll do a little rope-a-dope for 30 seconds. Then he'll come off the ropes and land combinations that will. Joe Frazier, in his youth, was an incredible defensive fighter because he was short for heavyweight. He was only 5'10", and he would bob and weave, and he would make it sort of like a young Mike Tyson later on, uh, where he would bob and weave and make him such a low target that it would be hard to hit him. That was no longer the case. Frazier's defense was out the window by this third fight. And so then Ali was doing stuff like he was throwing some lead lead right hands that caught Frazier off guard. He was putting the the the, the left arm out there, not even throwing a jab, just no. kind of like a measuring thing. That, that, and then, jab, that jab was non-existent in this fight. Unlike the first fight, the first two fights, he landed that jab all night. No, he was using it. To, to like you said, as a measuring stick. Did you? And then he throw the right hand right behind it, and Frazier wouldn't see it coming. And did you? Did you watch the Don Dunphy version or the Howard Cosell the, version? I watched the Cosell version. The Cos- Howard Cosell, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this podcast, 
today, and I've been very critical and rightfully so of today's announcing. Today's announcing is horrific in boxing. It's the worst it's ever been. Howard Cosell is the single greatest boxing announcer that ever lived. And go to YouTube and look at the the Ali Frazier Thriller Manila version with Cosell announced. It's the yeah, it's the ABC version, which I'm assuming was like the next week or something. It, it was a month later. Okay, they showed it a month later. They back then they didn't show it a week after. Like today, HBO or well, HBO used to Showtime does it. Like with the Charlo brothers recently, they showed it the following week. Back then, you had to wait thirty days. Uh, Cosell does a masterful job of the backstory, the history. If you never saw these two fight before, you watch this fight and you get the history because just like the first fight, Ali's doing the same thing he did in the first fight. He's laying up against the Get off the ropes, Ali. <laughs> you hear Dundee, Angie screaming in the background. He did a great, just like when Ali went in exile, just like March 8th, 1971. And I love what he kept calling Frazier, the indomitable. Joe Frazier. <laughs> but he did a great job of the history between these two fighters in that fight. And he got excited when it was when you had to get excited. He 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 he, he called he kept mentioning the right lead, the right you never saw Ali do that. Ali used to come off the jab, but Ali knew Frazier so well from the first time from the first two times they fought that he knew that that right hand could land any time he wanted to and in the first five rounds he landed that right hand at will but starting with the sixth round Garrett Frazier began going to the body consistently and I think Ali this is when you said the story of three of three fights in one Round six through ten is dominated by Frazier because he begins to go to Ali's body. And when Ali starts doing that rope dope it's not like Foreman, who was headhunting. Joe Frazier was landing incredible hooks to the body. Incredible hooks to the body throughout those next five rounds. And so he's also lands the big left hook a couple oh, times. In the eighth round, he cracks the left hook and Cosell. Just like the eighth round of the first fight. Oh, that left hook by Frazier. That left hook was, was, and Ali, no matter how much Ali moved, and in this fight, he wasn't moving, he was in the pocket. Frazier, the body shots set up those left hooks that were bouncing off Ali's chin. And so where it turns into the third fight that I'm talking about is as... Frazier's having great success. The problem is, is because of all the right hands that he had taken up to that point, he his face is getting very swollen. He's having trouble seeing. And because of that, the fight flips right back into Ali's for the last three or four rounds. But before you go, before you go there, at the end of the 10th round, and Cosell talks about this like he knows something's up, and Ali in his but in his in biographies later on, especially the life and times of Muhammad Ali, the best book ever written by Ali by Thomas Hauser, talks about after the tenth round, it was the closest thing he ever felt to death. Mm -hmm. Between rounds ten and eleven, and they even go to the corner, and 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 Cosell's talking. About, look, Ali, look at Ali as he's talking to Dundee. Ali's telling Angelo he's not feeling well. And Ali said that was the close thing to death. And how 
from the 10th round, because he took a beating in the 10th round. Those hooks to the body was just sapping his energy. 11th round, he regains control, which was amazing to me because of the beating he took in the 10th round. The 12th round was a wicked round. They were they were going toe-to-toe. Ali got the best of it. But Frazier, that left eye, he couldn't see out of it anymore. Yeah. And and it's it's uh, today, because of the great technology with TVs, you can actually see that as it happens in fights because the HD and, and all right, that, right. the channel, it's, it's so great. But Frazier's fight face was so puffy, you could even see it on this old, mm-hmm. you know, 1975 version that has been uploaded to YouTube. Like, I could literally see his face as puffy as it was. So that's how bad it was. And, uh, and yeah, you know, talk about the end because, you know, the, this is just a famous story about him wanting to, to go on. Before we get to the end, the 13th and 14th rounds in the history of boxing. And I'm talking about 15 round fights. Cause these guys don't fight. 15, there hasn't been a 15 fight, 15 round fight in over 30 years in the history of the 15 round fight. I have never seen a fighter Take the amount of punishment he took and look as fresh and land rapid combinations, strong, powerful combinations at his past his prime as Muhammad Ali did in rounds 13 and 14. He landed one brutal combination after another, almost the speed of what he used to be. It was incredible how this man, who went through hell and back in this fight, is landing one incredible combination after another. He's landing hooks and rights at will, and he's completely exhausted, but he's bouncing them off of Frazier's head. This is the greatness of both men coming out in the 13th and 14th round. I, I mean, Ali is bringing it to Frazier, and Frazier, he can't see Garrett. He's swinging wildly. He's not landing anything, yet he won't go down. Yet he takes every flush shot. There was one right hand Ali landed where blood just spilled out of his mouth. Just spraying. Well, the, out the of mouthpiece his, just yeah, goes the, flying. With the blood spraying out of his mouth. And he fought the entire 14th round without a mouthpiece. And he, I mean, today they would stop it and put the mouthpiece back in. Back then they didn't. He took a brutal beating in the 13th and 14th round. Eddie Futch had no choice but to stop this fight. He couldn't see. He couldn't see. Eddie Futch is the greatest trainer in the history of boxing. He taught Freddie Roach. He taught Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach, he trained Freddie Roach, and then after Freddie Roach couldn't fight anymore, Freddie Roach became his assistant trainer. And then when Eddie Futch retired, Freddie Roach took all of Eddie Futch's fighters and began training them. uh, Freddie Roach's top five, he learned from Eddie Futch. Eddie Futch is number one by a mile. He stopped the fight. He knew there was no... He knew Frazier was way behind. Frazier couldn't see. Frazier could have been killed. He stopped the fight. And um, to the day to the day Eddie Futch died, because Eddie Futch died years before Joe Frazier did, Joe Frazier never spoke to Eddie Futch again after that. Yeah, that's crazy. That that's That's the thing. And... I mean, it's just that whole story. And, you know, uh, Frazier had uh, had an eye problem like early in his career. It, 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 he so- was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I've read a few accounts, but then a few accounts uh, denied this, that he may have been legally blind in one of his eyes. Yeah. Crazy. 
Um, yeah, so you know, you th- this fight, you can find it there. What did you think of the documentary from about twelve years ago? Uh, which one? The one that HBO show? Yeah. Anything with anything that HBO does has been quality. That was a quality documentary. I a mean, lot of people thought that it was actually leaning more towards Frazier, which is interesting because the the Mark Cram book, Ghosts of Manila. I know a lot of Ali fans were upset at that book because of how Ali well, was portrayed. I, well, but but uh, I, 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 Ali said some derogatory. Oh yeah, stuff. absolutely. I mean, you you you. I mean. I'm the biggest Ali fan on the planet. I can't deny there. There have been some dark times in Ali in Ali's history. The fight with Ernie Terrell and Floyd Patterson, where he held them up and gave him a brutal beat because both men refused to call him Muhammad Ali. They kept calling him Cassius Clay. Those were brutal beatings. Ernie Terrell, he almost blinded Ernie Terrell. He gave Terrell a beating, and Terrell was never the same after that fight. Uh, Ali taking out that toy gorilla. Punching mm-hmm. it like a gorilla bobblehead and saying this is Frazier, that that killed. Frazier had to live with that for the rest of his life. He called him ignorant before the second fight, and they got into that studio brawl where Ali thought he, uh, Ali was like playfully hitting him on the head, but Frazier was serious. Yeah. They didn't break up that fight. Frazier could have hurt Ali, and that fight could have been called off. Um, Ali looked at it as a joke. Frazier hated Ali to the day he died. Yeah, I think I think it's the Cram book, the Ghost of Manila, where Ghost of Manila, yeah, where uh, Ali finds uh, young Marvis, and he says, you know, tell your dad all that stuff was just for the buildup. I didn't mean any of it. You talk about after the fight, after the fight's over, right? He told he told Marvis that your father's the greatest fighter he's ever fought. Yeah. Tell your father he's the greatest fighter of all time. He's the greatest fighter I've ever fought. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, that whole story, I, I would actually say that, you know, if you haven't read Mark Cram's writing about this time, like he he he's he knows, that's, you know, he covered the, every, he was reporting everything. The, that's the best book written on any single Ali fight, period. Yeah. Yeah. I need I need to read that again. That's that's uh, it, it's it's a hard one to read, but I, it's it's just so memorable. Um, OK, so. uh Let's quickly talk about the upcoming series that you are going to be writing. All right. I got two. I'm, I'm going to start the other one tomorrow and do your uh, for the first time do the WordPress thing. But yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the greatest light heavyweights of all time. My five greatest light heavyweights. That's the series that I will be starting starting to write soon. Uh, Garrett's going to publish this week the first five of my latest series, the greatest knockouts in boxing history. I'll be looking at 50 of the great, or what I consider the 50 greatest knockouts of all time. A lot of classic knockouts, and you'll be seeing classic knockouts by Alexis Arguello, Aaron Pryor, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, so and numerous other, Rocky Marciano, uh, Roy Jones Jr., and of course, the legend Sugar Ray Robinson. I'll be talking about all those guys and their greatest knockouts as it pertains to my fifty greatest knockouts of all time. Yeah, so we'll get probably it's going to be in the middle of the week. We'll get that first one up, and then I think we'll do one a week until we get uh, to the top twenty. And when we get to the top twenty, you're going to write singular posts. We won't group them in five. And then we'll probably post uh, uh, at least two 
during a week. So we're going to stretch them out because I want people to read this stuff. I don't want people to just like skim the lists and just to see, you know, what, 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 what the fight is. I want people to read this stuff. So we'll stretch them out and make sure that, uh, that people have a chance to read all of this stuff. Okay, so uh, and then, like you said, the the light heavyweights that's coming as well. Well, the, the there will be you'll you'll see a lot of Robert uh, upcoming. The other thing is, is you know, I don't I don't want to really share a, a, a lot, but you will be uh, on the podcast side. Uh, hopefully, we're we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. But it, but you may be a little bit more involved on the podcast side in in a project that. I am. Uh, I am kind. Eh, we'll see. I, I. I want to get it out soon, but I don't want to get it out before it's ready. So maybe, uh, probably early two thousand and twenty-one. So it, just when, teasing uh, that, putting that out there, just a t- little bit of a tease, listeners. When, you'll hear when, more, Robert. When, when, when this project comes out with the, the combined efforts of the entire website, y'all gonna love it, and I'm looking so much forward to what you just announced that 1997 project i am so my single favorite year in professional wrestling i can't wait for that yeah what what robert's talking about is john and i uh for 2021 we're going to end talking about wcw 92 and we are going to start reviewing the entire uh 1997 for WWE, which is the uh, the real turning point in their history to what everyone remembers as the big the big part of their history with the Attitude Era. So, By yeah, the, that's, first, the first month for Raw in January of '97 is an hour. Then in February, at the beginning of February, they 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 expand to two hours. Oh, okay. So we'll we'll have a little bit of a of a, a break little, for a yeah, bit. a little res- respite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so before we get out of here, let people know where else because you have. Tons of other stuff that you're doing, so let, right. let people know where to hear you. Okay, uh, once monthly on, and it's available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Uh, monthly, I do a podcast with my buddies uh, Vegas and Tone called Championship Rounds Podcast, which, which is a format similar to Garrett's Fight Game Podcast, where it's a three part podcast. The first part, first part, we we review. The month, the uh, the previous month's fights. Uh, the second part, we preview the upcoming month's fights, and the third part, like Gary and I do all the time on this podcast, we take a fight, we take a controversial fight that e- either the wrong we felt the wrong person won, or a fight in history that people wasn't sure who won, and we score it round by round, and we analyze each of us analyze what we thought happened in each round. Um, I got World Championship Boxing Podcast that I've been doing for 10 years now with my buddy Logan, where it's an historical podcast. We've done over, damn, over 200 podcasts. We've done over 140 bios, the greatest performances in boxing history of a legendary fighter. And we've done them all. We've done... We've done Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Wilfred Benitez, Thomas Hearns, James Toney. So, and then we also did the Greatest Fight series, which was a precursor to my articles. And those are that that was like fifty to sixty fights. And recently started, and it's available on Spotify with our, our buddy Sebastian, the Hitman Chronicles, in which we take a look at. A great match in the history of my favorite wrestler of all time, Bret Hitman Hart, 
The first episode was the, the was a great match from March of 1986, Boston Garden, Bret Hart versus Ricky Steamboat. Next week, we'll be doing the November 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event match between Bret Hart and Randy Macho Man Savage. I remember this that one. Right, and this is right before Macho Man explodes as a huge star doing, I mean, he did big business in 88 as the world oh, yeah. champion. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. You're going to see lots of Robert on the website, uh, fightgamemedia.com. And in a few months, uh, as long as, you know, as long as this thing works out, you know, you will probably hear from from him as well. Uh, you'll hear more from him uh, on this network. So, so yeah, thanks again, Robert. And uh, we will chat soon, I am sure. All right, hang with me for a second, though, because mm-hmm. um, you are a big sports fan, and I have absolutely no idea how you can keep on top of all of the sports that you do watch and and follow. But the World Series, Dodgers, as of this recording, Dodgers just take a 3-2 to lead in the World Series behind Clayton Kershaw, and we now have a day off, and then they'll come back and they'll finish the last two games. If needed, if you're a betting man, do you think the Dodgers close it out or do you think the Tampa Bay Rays send it to game seven? If I was a betting man, which I'm not, I haven't betted in years, I would put big money on the Rays to win game six, to force a game seven. And then I would uh, put money on the Dodgers to win game seven. I think (laughs) the Dodgers are going to win it this time. Um, Kershaw's already won two games in the World Series. Mookie Betts has been quiet since game one. I expect an historic game seven where Betts having a great game and Kershaw coming out the bullpen to seal the deal. So if you are a betting man or woman, head over to Bet Online so that you can possibly take advantage of, of Robert's advice or not. You have your own thoughts and theories behind the World Series or not about the World Series. NFL is still going on. Hey, uh, I have a I have a question, Gary. Can you yep. bet on who gets the first pick overall in the NFL? Because put put all put the house, <laughs> put the kids, put the, the college tuition, put the Christmas fund, put everything, the antiques, put it all in the Jets. J get that E T S Jets. I, you know, I, I don't know. I have to. I have to look that up. I'm Check sure it you know, they I'm, they have props, but I, I don't know exactly. They gotta have a line as who gets the first pick. Yeah, they they, the, <laughs> they have so much. So I, I would imagine so. But yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they have to. Um, all right. So instead of hearing me and Robert talk talk about Bet Online, just go check it out. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses, and don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all in one word. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And now I will uh, let's let's bring John on so we can talk some WCW Saturday night. All right, I'm here with John so that we can do our WCW Saturday night review from 1992. It is the October 24th show, the night before Halloween Havoc. And this was, they, there was a lot of stuff going on here on this show. And some of it was definitely pushing Halloween Havoc. But there was other stuff that, um, you know, was, was, was kind of, 
I guess it. I guess technically it was all pushing Halloween Havoc, but there was some stuff that was just like came out of the blue to me, like uh, Tony Atlas's racism. Yeah, um, I was the, have, the, the, definitely have. The, I have notes on that. Yes, definitely. the the Polly dangerously uh, wanting to destroy Eric Watts because bill watts is a neo-nazi like that stuff like just out of the blue i did not see some of this stuff coming like i'm not exactly sure what the reason for it was i well we'll talk about it but i think the yeah the you know paulie kind of would always kind of go over the top a lot of times i think he went a little over top here in this in that promo but um but yeah there's you know it's like a mixture of building the hollywood havoc and also introducing some new uh some new talent yeah there were some new there were some new wrestlers on the show they Mm -hmm. Had uh, Tex Slashinger and uh, Shanghai Pierce. Day, uh, they uh, this was their WCW Saturday Night deb- debut. I don't know if they were on some of the other shows before. I don't think Tex Slashinger did any TV before. I know he thinks some. I think he did some darks at this point. But I know Shanghai Pierce, of course, is, is Mark Canterbury, who we saw mm-hmm. wrestle Eric Watts, and he was we saw him wrestle Sting. Um, so, um, but you know. Obviously, Watt saw something in him, and he was doing jobs on TV, so they threw him in a hood, and they called him Shanghai Pierce. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's kick off this show here. So, uh, we, we we hadn't seen Michael P.S. Hayes in a while, mm-hmm. but now he is back with Arn and Bobby versus uh, Dustin and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So, again, no Barry Windham here. It's Dustin and and uh, Ricky, and I don't think there was Barry Windham wasn't on this show at all. Right? No, no, he he didn't come out. It's mostly like they didn't know where he was at or didn't know why he wasn't there, and and you know more mystery, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like B- Barry Windham is only concerned about defending the tag team titles when it needs to be defended, and they shouldn't be risking themselves in any other kind of matches. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but Dustin's young and he wants to fight, so he's, he he is. And so the the psychology from this match was pretty interesting because whenever you see Ricky the Dragon in a tag team match, you assume that he's going to want he's going to be the one that's going to you know it's going to take the beating and and come back and then tag out to whoever the, you know whoever's the guy, but he's going to be the one who's who, who who's wrestling most of the match. But it was actually flipped; it was Dustin taking the beating for most of the match and then Ricky was the hot tag. So I thought that was kind of interesting cuz I just you you just always assume that Ricky is going to be in that role cuz he's so great at it. Um so uh the other thing I saw is I was like, man, I kind of want to see some matches with Ricky Ricky Steamboat and Bobby Eaton. Well, we did. I mean, and and um I mean, we covered the second half of 92, but in early 92 during the uh Dangerous Alliance feud with uh, Sting and Steamboat and other baby faces on the roster, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham. Um, there was plenty of Bobby Eaton matches on Worldwide and and uh, WTBS, and so they had they they def- definitely had a lot of matches. Actually, I think they had I think they had plenty of matches on TV between those two, and they were good. They're definitely good. And this this foursome, this 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 these two tag teams. Had really good matches early '92 when um, Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes, of course, they won the tag team titles at the Class Champions in November of '91, and then from the Enforcers, which is Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko, but then they put Larry Zbysko became the Cruncher, he became like the the Hitman of the Dangerous Alliance, and they put Bobby Eaton with Arn, and then Arn and Bobby uh, won the tag titles from Steamboat and Dustin in um, 
in uh, January of, of 92. So uh, they had some really good matches. And so I was disappointed right off the bat when they said 10 minute time limit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh man, it's because they, they, they've had great, great matches in the past. And this was a good match, I would say, but they also had a lot of, it was also, there's a lot of some, some miscommunication, a little, little rough at times. Um, obviously all called in the ring, which, you know, which, which I like, but like, there was just some stuff that was, wasn't really gelling for some weird reason. I don't know if they felt rushed with time limit or, or, you know, it just seemed it's some stuff seems off, but some stuff was good. You know, it was a little mixed bag, but I love the ending, even though the finish was kind of mistimed with the hot tag to Dustin, uh, to Rick Steamboat. He came in as like 10 seconds left. Right. And, but the post match I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So uh, earlier in the match, PSAs threw that beautiful left hand and hit Dustin with it. So the, the time limit expires. And this this wasn't the, the time limit expiring where you see all the near falls at the end. The mm-hmm. match just sort of ended. And then so Hayes gets on the mic and he's yapping about, you know, how, uh, you know, his team is better or whatever. And then Dustin just shows up and gets right in his face. And, you know, it's serious when Dustin sort of doesn't pay attention to the camera. We just see his back mm-hmm. and then he pops P.S. Uh, right in the mouth at the end of the match. Yeah. Yeah, that this was the whole post match stuff was great. Um, the brawl with all the everyone brawling all around the ring, and you know, Steamboat running after Arn and trying to grab him and chopping him, and Arn running out, eating, running out, and then you know, Michael Hayes so good here, just being a total jerk. And I love that Dustin wasn't like you know, this wasn't felt didn't feel like a, uh, a setup. It felt like it would be real. Like he just you know jumps in front of the camera and pops him. This really felt like classic Bill Watts mid south UDF stuff. Like where things kind of bleed into another thing. And 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 this is this. So the match was like I said, it was good, but also a disappointment considering who's all involved. Um, but. Uh, the the ending the the brawl and the post and Dustin punching Michael Hayes really saved it and Michael Hayes is that great oversell but like mm-hmm. in a good way of like the punch and you know um, I miss Jim Ross and Michael Hayes as a duo <laughs> I know I think they might be on actually I think they talk about on their, their their main event but God they should be on the main show should be on the Saturday night together because they 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 have a really good chemistry. Okay, so this second segment was kind of the one that I was talking about, There's but two, we see it actually two segments though, right? Yeah, but we see it at the end too. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, close yeah. the show, which is so weird to me. Let's close on racism. <laughs> so Mick Foley and Tony Atlas are there. Tony Atlas says that Ron Simmons has thick lips and a nappy head. Yes. And this is not nineteen, you know. 1955 like this is 1992 wcw yeah and it's tony atlas who is an african-american man himself so i've absolutely no idea what the hell this was all about considering okay now this is not in the storyline but the last time we had seen tony atlas nationally was as a racist character himself Mm -hmm. saba simba in wwf and so now I, I just I, I don't I don't understand the entire reason for this because it well, didn't make the match any better. No, no. It didn't it didn't get any heat on either guy and it was just so stupid. Yeah, it's I think Watts <laughs> so 
doesn't know what's really going on. I think he tries to think like, you're going to be the guy from the streets, Tony Atlas, and Ron Simmons the sellout. Now he's the corporate sellout champion. You're still from the streets and the hood. You're still keeping it real while Simmons is a pretender, I'm guessing. I, but they didn't come off that way. You know, it just came off just out of the blue and unnecessary. And yeah, just, 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 just very, uh, I don't even think I even realized as a kid what he was saying. No, I don't yeah. remember this. In, no. I don't remember this at all. This was, I was so shocked when I was watching it. And like, God, I mean, Tony Atlas, he just, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, those Ron Simmons, Tony Atlas matches better been, better been short because, uh, you know, Atlas is, uh, yeah, I know he continues to wrestle on, but he's very limited at this point. Yeah, he's 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 not moving well at all either. No. Um, okay, so the next segment was the Barbarian. So obviously, uh, Cactus stays on the commentary. The Barbarian faces a guy by the name of Mike McReynolds, mm-hmm. and he does a headbutt off the top rope that goes three quarters of the way. <laughs> over on the other side of the ring. Like, he flew on this headbutt. And here's what I'll tell you what I liked about this headbutt is we've seen the big boot mostly. We've seen the headbutt too. But in the Control Center promo, when Ron Simmons is talking about what he is preparing for, he at first mentions the big boot, and then he mentions the flying headbutt as if to say, there are many things that I have to prepare for. And I was so happy because he wins with this second move. And I thought that was really cool for the, for the setup for this match. Well, yeah, this is the attention to detail that Watts is really good at was that you remember it was the, the big missile headbutt that laid out Ron Simmons mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. And, and catch Jack talked about it. when he hits that move, you know, it could be over the big boot, but when he hits that move, it's completely over. This is like his, like his, uh, his, uh, is finishing weapon that's gonna you know take the title. So here he was getting it over again, right? He he doesn't do it every match, but this match he made a statement right before the pay per view. If he hits this headbutt on Ron Simmons, the title will be going over the, around the waist of the Barbarian. So yeah, this was good, and uh, Mike Reynolds did a great job as a bu- he was bumping great for this uh, for Barbarian. I was happy for Barbarian. Got a good jobber to beat up. After the last few weeks, he's been getting some. <laughs> he's just drawing the short end of the straw when it comes to job guys. But Mike Reynolds is a good bumper and uh, made him look really good. Then we get the Van Hammer music oh, video. God. I, I I will say that I fast forwarded through this entire thing. The same hook the whole time. Da, da, da. Yeah. So I'm watching this uh, Tuesday night. I decided, you know, I feel I usually kind of watch it over. Usually when I do these, I watch it on Wednesdays and Thursdays, like in the in the morning, like order my lunch break. I kind of just make it something to do during my lunch. But I was like, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm gonna watch some the whole. Try to watch most of the show. End up watching damn near ninety percent of it on Tuesday night. But guess who walks out of the room right when Van Hammer's music video is playing? Here comes Katrina. Oh, and she's like talking about the hair. No, she goes, "Is this wrestling?" <laughs> I go. Yes, it's still wrestling. <laughs> and she's like, ah, this looks really bad. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. And she's, I was, and I was like, oh god, I wanted to, you know, put the put the pillow over my head and hide. But uh, yeah, yeah, I hated, I hated this music video because they played it on damn near every yeah, damn show. Ad nauseum. Yes. Okay, what would you have done with Van Hammer as as, as a guy? He's obviously 
great look in great shape, not a great wrestler, but it's it's almost like they're trying to they're giving him these, you know, he, he's he's beating these guys, but they're giving him, you know, some some, some length to these matches. I, I'm i just trying to figure out, like, because he's got something, but, like, is there anything that you that you think you could have done with him that uh, that they couldn't do with him? Well, I definitely wouldn't give him the heavy metal gimmick. You know, I think that kind of puts him in that, that mid-card cheesy role. I think I, I know it kind of makes him stand out a little bit, but I, you know he stands out in general with his size and his. Um, I would definitely invest in him because you know he's a, of his look and his size, and as a big man, he has some you know agility and um, very green. So you'd have to. I'd be very careful who I book him with. I mean, it'd have to be. I would have to strictly handpick the job guys like for example this was a good choice jd wolf's a long time you know southern veteran great bumper um good guy for him i think jd wolf actually made him look really good in this match so um you know i would be very careful about how i book him and who i put him with um find a character and a name better than van hammer you know <laughs> so i think Come on, there's MC Hammer. There's, yeah. there's Hammer and Hank Aaron. Yeah. It's it's just like dynamic dude. Like it just is just stupid. I would just kind of figure out. I don't even know his real name. I probably maybe it might be better than this, but um, but at least he looked. I mean, he's working with a, a jobber, a veteran that knew what to do with him. And so overall, this match was uh, pretty good. I'm not wondering. I haven't seen JD Wolf in a while. Um, I remember him in '88 and stuff. So has it back in Tennessee. So. I wonder if Mick Reynolds was from Tennessee. So I wonder if that was like one of JD Wolf's guys, you know, they came up together and did some stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I thought the match was good, you know, for a, for a squash. Where did hammer go after WCW? I don't even know. I don't think he wrestled. He came back to WCW. Like when things got hot and they started hiring anyone and everyone, right. He came back. Remember he was part of the, um, the flock. Yeah, I don't even remember that. Yeah. He was like, and he wore like a fishnet shirt with like, I had a pierced nipple and like the pierced nipple was like through the pierced uh, fishnet shirt and mm. almost had like a, <laughs> he had a lot of makeup in the beginning, like, 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 like almost like a you know, club, not a club kid kind of way, not that extreme, but like had more makeup on and it became more of just like grungy, right? They became the flock, he became more grungy, at least he became more grungy and he was kind of like the muscle of the group, you know, and he actually, they actually had him do some cool stuff as the muscle, but then they kind of expand, expanded the flock before they should have disbanded it. So anyways, that's another story. That's another review for another time. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, uh, we have, uh, the control center, like I mentioned. So here's what they do with this control center. The beginning of the control center, JR goes, and here's the lineup for Halloween Havoc. And they go through all the matches and we've, we've named all the matches over the last few weeks. There was, there isn't anything new. And then they do the interview with Jake, do the interview with Rude, do the interview with Ron Simmons. And then JR comes back and goes, and here's the matches for Halloween Havoc. And they roll through them again, like three minutes apart for the first time that they did it. Trying to hit that us over the head with weird. it. That was weird. I almost feel like that was the same exact cut, though. Like they Maybe. just 
redid the cut from earlier. Or how about Tony Giovanni trying to quickly trying to get that card as that thing's oh, flying he, through? He he read it fast though. Yeah, he oh he did a great job. He just at the nick of time too, right when that last and Z Man and Tony Gunn and Marcus Bagwell versus the artist. <laughs> you, know, you, re- you remember the ones where he used to read off the house shows when yeah, they used to yeah. have like that like the stars, you know, the stars. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I used to love that. Like, you know, who's gonna be on that show? When are they gonna come to San Jose? Damn it! You know, it never did for the longest time. Always looking for San Jose. Always. Never found it. Always did. Yes. Name here. All right. So Shanghai Pierce and Tex Slashinger versus Joy Mags and Jeff Daniels. So let me let me tell you what uh, what what Meltzer writes here. So um, about uh, Slashinger. So it's like you know how sometimes when you you when you read the Observer back in the day, he doesn't do this anymore really, but you would he he wanted to have like the person's real name in 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 the write-up so he would like he would write like their wrestling name and then like he would write their real name uh in in like write in like uh parentheses yeah and so here's his write-up on on this show a new tag team debuted as the masked shanghai pierce parentheses mark canterbury and tex slasinger parentheses Tex Slasinger. So he didn't know this guy's real name. <laughs> uh, maybe it was Phineas. So, uh, but but, but um, <laughs> no. But but what the, he actually screwed up. So so he said. So is it? Um, no no no. Yeah yeah. He just he just didn't have the guy's name. So but he he said you know Canterbury Canterbury's good, but Tex wasn't very good. That was that was his uh, his play by play there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So Tex Slasinger. Um, and uh, and and uh, Shanghai Pierce against Joey Mags and Jeff Daniels. So the finish is a like the uh, like kind of like a reverse DDT, and then he tags in the other guy, and the uh, the guy hits an elbow drop. I thought that was pretty. That was a pretty cool finish. Yeah, I love that finish. It's simple. Never, never back in the day when double team moves are simple. Mm-hmm. No one's doing twenty five flips to do one elbow drop. So this is straight to the point, big man stuff. Um, I always like. Tex Lassager and Shanghai Pierce as a tag team. So, um, you know, obviously they're still very young and new here. You know, Canterbury's still very green. Slasher, I don't think he's wrestling that long till before this. But, um, you know, big guys. You can see Watts, probably big and cheap too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, guys getting their uh, opportunities. So, um, yeah, I thought that was, yeah, I liked it. The, the old reverse DDT, the old slop drop, by the way, that the Phineas Godwin, you know, the, the, as Tex Slasher become a WF would do the old slop drop reverse DT and that would be their finish. So still doing slop drops here. He's still it's one of his favorite moves. And honestly, I love the reverse DT. It looks good. So this is where we talk about Polly dangerously. He's kind of going nuts. He wants to destroy Eric Watts because of Eric Watts's dad. So he brings in the masked intruder mm-hmm. who is the italian you. stallion under yep. the mask yep figure it out i guess i'm like god who's this guy it took me like <laughs> half the match and then i realized like who is this guy and just by his body and his movement i was like is that the italian stallion then i had to go look it up and sure shit it was a uh, italian stallion and i think stallion stands having a lot of fun there he was pulling out all these his old you know he was an amateur guy right yeah and so he got to pull out some a German suplex, a, a crotch lift suplex, a arm trap suplex. He was suplexing Eric Watts all over the damn place. 
So I, I thought Eric Watts was going to like break his arm because there was a back suplex and his instinct was to break his fall. So he puts his arm out yep. to break his fall. And then at the last second, he pulls it back a little bit. I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to break his arm. Yeah. Like, but, uh, yeah. Like he, I thought that so too. It was like, man, what are you doing? That's like wrestling, first day wrestling school. Not, not that, actually, you shouldn't be taking that bump first day wrestling school, but you know, like that's a mistake. Like we'd probably make doing that in our, in our front room, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think he finally realized, oh, shoot, I shouldn't do that. I'm going to bust my arm. Um, uh, but it was, I like the story, though. I, I, I know you say it kind of out of blue, but it does make sense for Paul Lee. The whole Nazi, you know, whatever the hell he said was a little over the top. That's Paul Lee. But, like, the idea that, you know, because Bill Watts is the one that came to Rude and talked to him about this contract that they mm-hmm. signed. And so he's blaming, he's deflecting the blame from himself to Bill Watts, and now he's going to make Bill Watts pay because he's saying that Bill Watts is causing this this issue between him and Rude and blah, 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 even though it was Paulie's poor management. So now he's going to you know, take it take it out on his son. I was thinking, like, man, if they really, instead of going the route of Medusa versus Paulie, if they would have gone the route of Bill Watts, Bill Watts coming back, to wrestle Paul E to kick his ass in a match, I think it could have been something. I think it could have been it drew at least an, an, an entertaining match on a on a on a pay per view, you know. So, or or maybe Watts teaming with um, his son against uh, Paul E and a, whoever hit, mm. you know, hired gun kind of guy, and you know, and then the finishes that you know Watts pins Bill Watts pins um, Paul E. So Medusa comes out after uh, after this match. Polly's pissed. Watts wins with like a fireman's like kind of like what? Uh, no, he's like a fireman's carry. He controls the he controls driver the, or something. No, it's just a fireman's carry, but he controls the arm. He whips them ropes, and he as he whips them ropes, he you know picks them up for the fireman's carry. He doesn't doesn't lose control of his arm, and he just flips them over. And at the same time, he kind of it's almost like a fireman's carry into like a power slam. Actually, I think the moves kind of pretty cool, simple. No, this is great, and uh, I think about giving that to someone. So, <laughs> um, and so then uh, after Medusa comes out because Polly's pissed. And Medusa's like, dude, you were supposed to meet with me and Rick, uh, and you know showed the meeting. Like, what's going on? And he's like, ah, you know, I, I blame it on my assistant. And then she's, you know, she's basically saying that, you know, they, they they need a meeting because they need to get on the same page. And so she actually gets the date of the pay per view mm-hmm, wrong. Mm-hmm, she yep. says that it's actually next weekend when it's the next day. But Polly quickly, you know, quickly corrects her. And um, it's it's just so funny because they're just hammering this pay per view in in your head, and and you know she she gets it wrong, but then uh, Paulie says like, look, I will me- let's meet now, let's meet tonight, and then he's like, but I got this meeting in five minutes, and then I'll I'll, I'll you know I'll I'll, co- I'll come back and and we'll do the meeting. Obviously, he's he's bailing. So Medusa, whose job it was to to get Paulie, she failed at, at this job. So Teddy Long comes out and does his one segment. Not much going on with Teddy. Um, and so then Johnny Gunn well, makes his debut. Wait, well, what? You disagree a... about Teddy? No, no. It was, a, it was he just came out. You know, he's he's still looking to hang out with the homies. That's all. Yeah. Hey, much yeah. respect. 
I mean, look. He loves the homies, dude. For a two-minute segment, I have no idea why he's on, but he's he's Teddy. He's he's just entertaining. Anytime to hear Teddy Long say homies, dude, I'm down. So So then uh, we have the Johnny Gunn debut, at least on WCW Saturday Night, versus Buddy Lee Parker. So you you mentioned who Johnny was uh, last episode but where like where did he come from like what was his story before coming into wcw um he was a northeast indie guy Uh, i know he worked for icw um uh angelo savoldi's uh, promotion up there later become iwccw he wrestled as tom brandy which i think is his real name because he became used that name in wwf after Mark Merrill called him a jobber and <laughs> you know, he's not Salvatore sincere. He's his real name is Tom Brandy, but I don't know if that's even his real name, but you know, um, and you can see why Watts one, he's he was probably cheap, but also a big kid, you know, good look, but he just had no, no charisma. He just, mm-hmm. just he lacked the, the charisma, but he had the size and the body. So you could see why Watts would give him a chance. And also, like I said, I'm sure sure, you know, he's obviously, he's finding cheaper talent, right? He's cutting costs. And, yep. um, but, um, I mean, I liked, I always liked Johnny Gunn or, or Salvatore sincere as, you know, for their roles at, but they were never, never had the charisma to be anything, but a mid car bay face or maybe a tag team guy. He wins with a Thez press, but at some point the fans start booing and there's a couple guys that you can, here start chanting boring i haven't heard that on yeah. any of these shows that we've been watching yet well i don't blame him man he's like you know he's not connecting with the crowd he's just he might be nervous but like he's just not connecting the crowd he's just you know he doesn't look at him doesn't keep him engaged um there was a really bad uh, gut red suplex spot that was kind of covered up with the crowd shot and uh but lee parker's going for a gut red suplex i don't know what happened or they cut to it, but they kind of got the end of it where it ended up being kind of like some wonky backbreaker. Um, but you can tell Bud Lee Parker was pretty pissed about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, they ended up having a, you know, a decent match. The King of Cable is coming. Hmm. Get ready. Yeah. Actually ended up being a decent tournament. So as stupid as the name King of Cable was, it, it uh, at least had a great a memorable final for damn sure. Mm-hmm. And then we get this up close, and we've mentioned in the past how good Tony Schiavone is with these interviews. This was not a good one because Nikita is trying to do his accent, but he's a babyface, and so he's trying to be super thoughtful. And I don't think you can do the you know do the accent and and be super thoughtful and like he's like russians can't be thoughtful no he's 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 losing the accent oh i know he's trying to be smart and thoughtful and so he's not speaking in like the half english and so it just comes off as someone doing a really bad accent the other thing about it is he should have had a shirt on because you know the, the nikita that i remember is like this really built jacked guy and the way he was sitting he kind of looked a little out of shape that's and that's not who i remember when i think of nikita cola i wonder if he has injury uh, yeah um and i liked that uh, i don't know if tony Schiavone just they talked about it before they started filming this interview but i liked his like 
you know, thanks for joining us after your workout. <laughs> but uh, you know who does a really good, the key to cool off is Tom Caster does a really good. I, I uh, can imagine. Does a really it's a, good. It's a great, it's a great, I mean, it's a great memory from when we were kids, right? Yeah, Everyone yeah. wanted to do Nikita. I don't do it. I mean, I do. I do it. Yo, yo, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, he's just like, you know, the title, but the U.S. title always means freedom. God, man, that U.S. title just meant freedom for that guy. He's like, but, but I like what he said, like, Tony kind of like talked about it, like, you know, lead him that way about the title being about freedom, but he's also, but I don't know, I'm not taking my eye off the world title. So that was cool. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, at least, at least, least make sure you know, the biggest prize is still the biggest prize and that was cool but um it was fine it was just it served its purpose so then we have recruit against eddie desmond and this was more of a of a of a backdrop for mm-hmm. him to kind of you know get upset at at the whole situation with uh, you know Ducey didn't uh, didn't set it straight with Polly. so now you know rick's got to do do the job to set it straight with Polly. yeah but then so, he shows up then Nikita shows up, yeah. So then we have uh, stunning Steve Austin against Shane Douglas's perm. Mm-hmm. Um, quite the perm, uh, the back, the, the 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 back hair, the long curly hair on Shane Douglas. The perm mullet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very long, very very spindly. Stood out like that's all I could pay attention early on in this match was his hair. Like it wasn't soul glow, but it was damn near close, right? Yeah. So. This is a long match. Like when I looked at the time, because you know, here I'm thinking last week we get this jacked match where you know the time limit draw happens and we don't even know. And they're supposed to, you know, there's it's supposed to be a draw, but they don't tell us and the match just keeps going. And I don't remember if they even told us on, on the beginning of this show. I don't think they did. I think this is the last we ever hear about. Scott Steiner TV champion. I'm trying to remember. Like, yeah, I, because they, they didn't even mention him on the show. No, I think they just they they getting some there's some issues here with the mm-hmm. contract. Okay, so um, match was good though. I like this match. Match was good. It, it was it, it was definitely on the on the long end. I, you know, there there's I I I I love a good arm ringer and 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 but man, like there was there like that was like sixty percent of the match. Oh yeah, they're going long, and um, they're not gonna. It's not gonna be as the barn burner. I think you know, you know, they, they're saving this stuff, but I think they had good chemistry together. They, they, um, they definitely did. I, I so like Doug, Douglas wins with a back suplex, and he holds Austin shoulders down, and he bridges his shoulders. Though I couldn't. I mean, we didn't get a really good angle of it to see, mm-hmm. you know, the shoulders. But uh, they called the the match for for Douglas. Brian Pillman is at ringside. He jumps Douglas at the end uh, to kind of get a little bit of heat back from Austin losing that match. And then, um, the, you know, there was one thing where I couldn't tell if Austin took this correctly, but I just, you know, you sort of realize, you know, because they don't have any mats on uh, on the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think Austin, like, took a bump a little uh, lower on his back like almost near his tailbone that i think he wanted to i couldn't tell if he really got hurt or if he was just selling really well he's possibly selling really well but i saw i think he, he sold took, he took something that was a little lower than i you normally see a, a bump on the outside yeah but but i was like oh this is, i can't I, yeah i forgot no mats like what's going on but austin looks just in damn good shape he looks healthy his knees look healthy here right no there's no knee braces nope. which i think he should have or at least at least, at least knee pads but um yeah 
but he's uh yeah, he's they look good. Like I said, I thought these guys had really good chemistry together. All right, end of the show. Cactus and Atlas again. Wait, 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 wait. You're missing something. Wait, what? Marcus Bagwell, a little promo with his broken nose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're setting up a match for next week. Bagwell against Vinny uh, Vegas. Vegas. Um, and then, so then a- Atlas. Racist Atlas. More racism. Back. Like, just that. That's all that it was there for. Like, Cactus didn't even really do anything this time. It I was think, just Atlas racism. I'm guessing Mick Foley is like, can I get away from this segment? You know, as soon as possible, please. So, so who comes out? Robbie Walker. Robbie Walker wants to talk some sense into Tony. You know, Cactus, you're not one of us. Go, go, sit over there. I need to talk to my guy. And he tries to talk some sense into Tony Atlas. Tony Atlas is not hearing it. You know, Ron Simmons is working hard. Why are you cutting him down? Uh, Tony Atlas is not hearing it, puts Robbie Walker in the full Nelson, and Cactus fires a right hand, blasts Robbie Walker, and uh, poor the, the show ends with poor Robbie Walker getting his butt kicked. Um, and that was how the, the show ended. So what, what they should have done is they should well, I guess they wanted to do this stupid segment. Um, they could at least had Ron Simmons come out to make the save, and now he's going to, you know, you know, he's knocking, he, he big, big runs in, there's a big clothesline to cactus takes a bump on the floor you know he loves doing that then you have him and tony alistair straightening blows but then from behind here comes the big boot from barbarian and knocks down uh, ron simmons and maybe even picks him up again and body slams in the middle of the ring and then he you know, comes off the top of that missile head butt and end the show with like you know barbarian standing over ron simmons like oh my god tomorrow is he gonna be the champion like uh, just instead of just ending with tony Alistair beating up Bobby Walker just seemed kind of flat. So the other tournament um, that they're going to have, do they show this on, this must be on the main event because Jesse the Body is not on. Wrestling? Or is it Worldwide? Worldwide. But but it's, yeah, yeah, it's the arm wrestling one. I forgot about this. That's coming. Yeah, I don't think people, didn't people drop out? It was like the brawl for all. They did the dark side of the ring should do the, Jesse Ventura arm wrestling contest uh, <laughs> show about like people were dropping off and I think I know who won that damn thing actually um, God. don't tell me it's Van Hammer uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the hell like I don't even think it led to anything like you know you'd think it would lead to some big angle but it's just I think just yeah. Well, I wonder if in the back they're arm wrestling each other one day, like a bunch of guys, and Bill Watts is like, "We want to do it for do it for real. Let's do it for yeah. fans." Yeah. yeah, stupid. But Key and Cable's coming, and I remember being in a decent tournament. So, okay. So the only thing really in the Observer is Dave notes that um, all the changes to Halloween Havoc. Because in the WCW magazine, they're really pumping Halloween Havoc as well. Mm-hmm. But in the WCW magazine, obviously, Gordian Williams against the Steiners is one match that they're writing about. We know about that one. Steamboat defending against Austin. That was another match that they're writing about. And Steamboat doesn't even have the title at this point. It's bizarre. And then Cactus Jack versus Dustin Rhodes in a Falls Count Anywhere match was originally booked for this show. So this show looks nothing like what they originally set out to be. So 
I, some of it is obviously injuries or, or whatever, but some of it is just they just changed their mind at the last minute, I guess. Well, they had the contract issue with Steiners, right? And that flipped things around, so that forced um, the title change for Barry and Dustin over Williams and Gordy. And then there's some changes going on on the title of pay-per-view coming up, too. So um, there's, there's a lot of things are changing in WCW. And um, I think, well, we'll talk about it as we get towards December. I think Watts actually, there's a little, there's a bit of a rough patch right now with the roster. And I think by November, end of November, I think he kind of gets it set and it is kind of, you know, there's a one big injury that kind of causes some stuff. But uh, other than that, I think everything was, it was pretty much uh, set with the, the show. Okay. So Halloween Havoc happens and then the next WCW Saturday night is the one that we're going to cover. So we're we're not going to really cover Halloween Havoc in super detail, but we will talk about it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. I'll have it on, and we'll just sort of mention stuff. But you know, I, the the reason we covered um, the last show, what was it? Was it the Great American Bash that the one that we covered? Yeah. Yep. We we, we did that because and Clash too. We covered a Clash, but but it was because like. There was a show missing, <laughs> so we didn't have a show for that week. But the, you know, we have a show. We'll cover the WCW Saturday Night. We'll mention the stuff that happened at Halloween Havoc. We're just not going to cover it as closely as uh, as we we did the last one. So we'll probably go into like extreme detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have, have all the notes. Look, there's going to be tons of stuff in the Observer about that show too. So yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll have all that stuff. So all right, so um, that is it from here. So thanks to the great Robert Silva. Uh, also, for John, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.